Welcome everyone to another episode of ISPN Talks. I am your host, Marcela Hoffman Mourão. In this episode, we bring you the second part of our eSports special. In the Global Issues in Football Management minor this year, we introduced the topic of eSports to the students. And we were lucky to count on many guest speakers from the eSports and gaming industry. In the first episode, we heard from Matthijs Wink, co-founder of the H20 eSport Campus, the largest eSport campus in Europe, and Renzo Omrausing, operational manager for FIFA Academy Team Hullet. The focus was on management in eSports. Today, we shift the conversation to eSports, socialization, and tackling of social issues. The guests that gave presentation to the students during the minor were Oliver Weingarten, founder and CEO of London United, and Wim Nordside, owner of House of Esports and chairman of the Dutch Esports Association. So, let's cross the channel first. After years working in traditional sports institutions such as the Premier League and Formula One, Oliver Weingarten realized that the world of esports was an opportunity to address social issues that are prevalent in London. I went to uh, Wembley Arena one Friday afternoon for the CSGO finals, having never really watched CSGO, to be honest, but when Wembley Arena is sold out on a Friday afternoon and it's short form, snackable content, and you've got families there, kids of all ages, buying the merch, really engrossed, it made me determined to um, try and do something in the sector. When I was working with uh, Virtually Live and around Formula E, I saw what they were, uh, Formula E was doing in esports, and then with Virtually Live, I did a esports activation with Red Bull. And again, you know, I when I was at the Premier League, I worked with EA for many years on the FIFA contract. I'd been around the space, so I essentially felt that I owed it to myself to have a deep dive into the sector. When you've been at the Premier League, when you've been in Formula One, you've had exciting jobs. You want to keep on having exciting jobs. You want to wake up being excited for what you do. And, you know, I could have gone and worked for a publisher or a, another esports organization or a tournament operator. But again, you know, I wanted to create something um, with a difference. And, you know, I, I was convinced more than ever that esports was the way to go. Um, and the USP around social purpose would help hopefully um, build up credibility and you know, raise money and bring brands in, etc. Um, you can't see all the blisters on my hand. I've spent two days in uh, Camden Town in London um, working with this, the team to assemble desks and tables and drawers and everything else because we're opening our, our centre of excellence and we're saying this is the first purpose-driven centre of excellence. It's obviously going to have an academy element but actually what we're looking at doing is having a space to work from and have meetings, but provide a safe space for gamers to come in and not just play again video games, but understand that there's workshops that we can help deliver with partners relating to mental and physical health and, you know, provide an avenue for education and employability. We'll also have a space there for our, our own talent to come in and create content. We'll have a space for the Valorant team to do scrims and coaching, etc. Um, so you know, if you're ever in London, you're very welcome to come and visit us. That's going to be opening soon, so I'm very excited about that. The work that London United does is divided into five pillars, as Oliver explains. So we have a vertical around content creators. 
we are essentially a grassroots esports organization. We want to find talent. We want to develop talent. We want to educate the talent. We want to nurture the talent in the right way. We don't want to encourage people to be sitting on their ass 23 hours a day playing video games. We want them to understand that this is about mental health and physical health and good nutrition and, and being active as much as it is about how often you play video games. So those are two of the verticals. As a social purpose driven esports org, we address social issues um, through campaigns predominantly on Twitch or um, prior to COVID, we held physical events to find gamers for our team. But we also addressed issues like knife crime or we held a physical five-a-side football tournament before our FIFA trials to link participation in sport. We have um, during COVID addressed racism, education, some of which I'll come to in a bit. And I like to always shout that now we can show what we do is not tokenistic. We are not just another organization out there talking about ESG and CSR and saying, you've got to do all this social purpose stuff. We are actually doing it. And the fourth vertical, which we, uh, we announced a couple of weeks ago, is around having a digital economy platform at the heart of what we do, which is going to um, be a platform with five elements in it. And it started with the launch of an NFT campaign. One of the campaigns that we did in December with the mayor of London, where Yop came in and partnered with us, and we were addressing the employability angle using esports as a platform to show their skills you can use to work in esports, but actually social media management you could take into any job, um, video production, video editing, public speaking, those are all transferable. So how we held you know, this event during um, COVID was we had live streams on Zoom for the education workshops, and then we held three Twitch streams after the two weeks of education workshops where we brought in guest speakers and we showed some of the outcomes from the workshops where um, the students and the youngsters were, were tasked with um, creating some form of homework, etc. And we worked with academics to help deliver because, as, as I always say, we are a means. We're not the means to an end. We're just a means and we need to bring in partners with relevant experience. And to make it interesting, we had the academics delivering the workshops, but we brought in Man City and Fnatic and FaZe Clan and others that could give their industry experience so they could add some color to it. Uh, Rio Ferdinand has his own foundation. Um, and just earlier this year, we celebrated the 10th, well, we partook in celebrating their 10 year anniversary. And you, you might ask me, why does the Rio Ferdinand Foundation, why do, you, why do they come and partner with London United? And the answer is because if you think about your age and the demographic of gamers, they are young, they are hard to reach or they are hard to engage. And it's about, a lot about raising awareness and getting to that demographic. So we can provide a forum. Um, these partners recognize the growth, the exponential growth of esports and gaming, particularly during COVID. So they can use us as a platform to get out there and you know, 30,000 views on Twitch is actually relatively low to some of our other events, but it was the hottest day of the year and um, it, life had just started to open up in the UK. But as the way we do our, our events to highlight the social issues is we intersperse the esports content with the social issues. So we bring in guest speakers to talk about the issues to highlight awareness. As esports is the core element of the organization, the focus is on developing talents for some of the most popular games at the moment.
we have a FIFA roster, we have um, a League of Legends roster, we have Valorant roster, and we're about to announce two um, twin 13-year-old Fortnite gamers, one of whom is a right-arm amputee in place of this stump to um, form our United Futures program. So we are very much a bottom-up uh, organization. We start at the grassroots, except with Valorant, where we're actually forming a, a very high caliber tier one roster. And again, you might say, well, if you're a grassroots organization, why are you investing all this money in Valorant? Valorant is a very hot esport at the moment. It's um, owned by Riot, who own League of Legends. And they're, um, they've, they've made a pretty you know, sophisticated ecosystem for the teams to partake in and you know, win prize money. But the eyeballs that you can get from being successful in Valorant for an organization like us that needs to build out a community means that it, the risk reward ratio is something for us to take into account. So we, um, if you follow us on socials, you'll see we recently released our Valorant roster and we're rebuilding a, a new one, which will be more competitive. Um, our FIFA pros are very much grassroots players that will compete in the Club World Cup for us and other tournaments. And League of Legends, as you can see from the Twitter uh, screen grab on the right of the slide, we won the, the grassroots league in this country. And actually it was announced this week that we have been accepted for a, a much higher tier um, tournament, which is um, under the NLC, which is um, Riot approved. So we're hoping to um, qualify into that, which is very exciting. So we're across um, four or five titles. We have about 18 players. And, and these are the content creators, some of whom I, I showed you earlier. So the reason we have content creators is about content creation, obviously, to drive awareness for our brand. It's also to support the creators. So some of these creators have different requirements. You know, Wadja the Hat just wants some hats to do giveaways, but Miss Baffy, who has, you know, overall reach of 150K, needs some assistance on YouTube content and TikTok content. So in exchange, she can bring us eyeballs. Meryl, Gilly and others, Meg, they're all playing in different titles. They've all got different um, levels of reach. And that's very important when we talk to brands and they say, what can you offer? And we can say, well, look, just in August, there was you know, 500 watched hours of our creators. These are just some of them. And if you put all their numbers together, you're going to be able to reach a million people. So that's the reason we have these content creators to amplify our message. And you know, they don't just sign up for any organization. They do their due diligence as much as we do. So you know, when Baffy signed for us a couple of weeks ago, she started to talk to people about London United and she said, look, they care about mental health. They're a really good organization, etc." Naturally, the amount of top players in esports is still very limited. And for London United, the top is not really the purpose. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's probably 1% reach that level and air. And, you know, there's only so many, if you go put it to football, there's only so many Cristiano Ronaldo's and Lionel Messi's, aren't there? So you have to just say, look, there's got to be a sense of realism. There's got to be a sense of expectation. What we want to see is development. Like you're coming in to say to be a pro with London United or you want to take the path to pro. It's about showing that you can benefit from being part of our structure. And we haven't got it all right yet. And we're you're pretty unsophisticated still. But it's about showing, you know, career path, career development, education and the mental side. 
But I, I will try and get my gamers to do physical activity and some of them will push back because they've never done it before. In fact, it's very easy to compare it to toxicity, which is a huge issue online. Gamers do it because everyone's always done it. We'll stop doing it then. Like you've got to try and curve that trend. And it's a bit like physical exercise. Like you will see benefits to physical exercise and mental health and eating the right way. And that will get you where you need to get to. You might not end up being the, the best pro that, that exists, but as long as you're doing things the right way and you're enjoying it and you, you, whether it's for social interaction, whether it's for content creation, I think there's a sense of realism and expectation. And you know, we don't really have that struggle where people are coming in saying, I want to be Lionel Messi. What for me is about opportunity and accessibility. It's about saying, look, here's something for you to engage in. We might be right for you, we might not be. If you think you can go off and be Lionel Messi elsewhere, then you know, good luck to you. But for me, it's as well about trying to make sure there's um, the opportunity for them, you know, the youngsters to partake in activities that will develop them. And that's, it could be a competition, for example, um, grassroots. But unfortunately, the grassroots scene needs a little bit more development still as well. We talk about esports, we've got to remember it's not just about the competitive playing, it's about the working. It's, oh, there are so many roles in my organization now video editors, graphic designer, esports manager, youth development. My FIFA pros become a youth development manager. We have a commercial manager, a head of content, social media manager. You know, there's, there's lots of roles. And you know, these guys are, and girls are working in esports because they want to work in the sector, but they don't want to be competitive players. They're happy just to be casual gamers. The organization's schedule coming up is quite packed when it comes to campaigns, such as those to promote safeguarding, health and well-being, as well as climate change. One that is currently going on and really worth checking it out is the London Collection, a purpose-driven NFT, non-fungible token. Anyone doesn't know what an NFT is, just, just Google non-fungible token and you'll see Every man and their dog in the industry is now doing NFTs, whether it's um, pop stars, musicians, the NBA, uh, Andy Murray. Everyone is coming up with an NFT strategy. And we've tried to be a little bit different with our NFT strategy. We've used it to kickstart our platform because we believe having a tech element is very important for what we want to try and do and how we grow and how we scale. But we have to continue to engage with the community. So we launched this uh, I say community-driven, social purpose-driven NFT campaign a few weeks ago on Twitter with one-minute briefs. And we had 168 entries of the community coming up with designs related to London and gaming that we will convert into NFTs. So we have built our own platform with a company that actually works with NASA. We also have a partnership with a company to mint the NFTs called Zero Mint, which is very carbon effective. And we will be putting NFTs out um, through three of the artists that we um, signed up from Twitter. And then we will be doing a premium end um, NFT campaign as well. The whole idea is that these NFTs should have some degree of functionality and that you will want to collect them. And uh, you know, hopefully when it goes live, you will engage with our campaign. London United has partnered with Zero Mint and the GoChain Foundation to integrate their fast, low-cost and low-energy transactions and sustainable minting of the London United NFTs on London United platforms to support the Rio Ferdinand Foundation. The London collection is comprised of art sets created by the artist Hanna, designed around famous London landmarks. The designs are still being revealed, little by little, and the ones that are out already are extraordinarily beautiful. 
you can see more on their website, ldnutd.gg. To finish the conversation with Oliver, we ask him the question that based the study of esports during the global issues in football management minor, which was, why are there still a lot of football clubs afraid of creating an esports branch? Esports is a buzzword and a lot of people think they have to do it, but they don't know how to do it. And then sometimes it gets too difficult. And then you have lots of people saying they're esports consultants and, you know, they don't, they might not be. And I think it's quite, it's quite a complicated ecosystem. If you, I mean, I didn't really go through it um, because I took a certain level of um, knowledge presumption from the students, but you know, you look at the games being made by the publishers and you have tournament operators and you have teams and you, you have so many and broadcasters and you know, is everything on Twitch or is it on Facebook or is it YouTube? Um, is it on linear broadcast? Is it not? How do brands activate? What restrictions are there? It is quite complicated to get your head around. And I think sometimes maybe it's just easier to um, put your head in the sand, so to speak. Moving on to our second guest. In last week's episode, we focus on two Dutch organizations, H20 Esports Campus and Team Holit, and how the esports industry was growing in the Netherlands. This message was strengthened just a month ago with the announcement of the creation of Brandsvereningen Esports Nederland, or the Dutch Esports Association, for those that don't speak Dutch or cannot pronounce it that well. The chairman of the entity is Wim Nordzai, owner and director of the House of Esports. Wim was also a guest speaker in the minor, and we will hear from him about the approach of esports at grassroots level. It is important to understand that gaming, despite it being a global industry, it operates in different ways, according to the region and culture, as Wim explains. If you look at uh, esports and gaming in the States, which are huge uh, you see it's very commercial all the, the top players from uh, the nba or uh, the baseball uh, uh, competition are buying their own teams now it is run uh, like a company they, they want to make money and it's really all the way the american uh, way so but what we see that the student uh, esports scene is a very big uh, people can get scholarships now already in the states and there's a, a huge esports student competition uh, in the states they're very commercial in asia uh, that's quite different there all the top esporters have a status and respect they're really a hero uh, during the olympic games it was an esports team that was allowed to to carry the torch uh, because they have such a high uh, standard. And there in Asia, they really see it as a true sport. Uh, or you're drafted for a team, you will get paid about $350,000 uh, a year. Then you will get your bonuses um, when you win tournaments. And then you will get money from uh, the sponsor uh, and partnership sites. So if you're a really good player, it's easy for you to earn uh, $1 million uh, a year. But if you look at, at Holland or Europe, uh, really, you see that we're really a startup. Uh, there was a lot of uh, prejudice and stigmas why people in Holland were against uh, gaming. And the strange thing is that in 2004, you had the Cyber Games, which is about uh, the Olympic Games 
you could say. And um, uh, Holland was top of the world. So almost all the medals during the cyber games in different games were won by uh, Dutchmen. Uh, but uh, uh, pretty soon, say around 2010, we were really uh, back to uh, where we uh, began. And it's really a startup uh, right now. But the one thing that makes it different is that uh, in Holland, uh, uh, education and physical exercise and uh, uh, those kind of 21st century skills are very important. And there's also a way that you could use esports in gaming. So what we try to do now uh, in Holland and Europe is claim the social role, uh, take away the stigmas, and then uh, uh, start uh, playing games at a more professional level. But I have to be honest, we already missed the boat uh, uh, in Holland uh, in the field of gaming. Because if you're 18 and you're good, you will be drafted uh, abroad. A lot of uh, Dutch gamers are going to uh, Germany, France and uh, England right now. And some of the very best uh, will go to uh, the States. Uh, so I think that, that Holland will be a talent pool, uh, really. Within the Dutch context, House of Esports focuses on the development at the amateur level. We are trying to build um, uh, the sports pyramid. Uh, because you need uh, a lot of amateurs playing and gaming and then uh, start competitions. And then he will slowly get to a top team. We work together with Erasmus Esports and MCON Esports. And the MCON Esports is called MCON Esports Rotterdam. Um, they're all uh, uh, housed in uh, um, House of Esports. That's their gaming house where they practice. Um, so um, I think in the future, we will definitely do that. But uh, we have House of Esports, which is a foundation um, uh, like an NGO, but we also have uh, a company called Game Generation. And in the Game Generation, we do all our commercial uh, uh, things like events. And uh, a team is one of the things that we're starting up. But to be honest, if you uh, want to start up a good team uh, now, uh, you will need $15 million to start it up. Because, for example, if you want to uh, be uh, a part of the League of Legends competition of Riot Games, uh, the teams have to pay $10 million only to be allowed to enter uh, the competition. And then, of course, you need to pay your uh, players, you need to have good facilities, uh, good staff. So it won't be possible to start a real good team, uh, professional team, uh, unless you have $15 million. Uh, but of course, what you see in Holland, there are two or three uh, teams that are doing uh, semi-pro uh, like in, in Holland, they are top uh, in Europe, they are in the middle and uh, worldwide, they're really at the, the bottom. But um, we have the luck that um, Team Liquid is a Dutch team because of the owner is a Dutchman that moved to LA. So they have their headquarters in LA, but he wanted to come back to Holland. So he also has a headquarters in Utrecht uh, right now. 
uh, with Team Liquid, and that is really a pro team. And the organization, founded in 2018, works with three pillars, gaming and social, gaming and health, and gaming and work. And Wim goes a bit more in detail. Where the biggest problem really uh, lies with gaming is the parent-child relationship. Uh, uh, I was a very good example, of course, uh, with all my children. I was never interested in the hobby of my children. You know, uh, when my children started to play tennis and football or uh, horse riding or uh, gymnastics, uh, all those children did all kinds of different sports. You know, uh, I would be their coach, I would be a trainer, I would drive them every Saturday to the to the, the pitch where they uh, were playing and I was supporting them. And uh, well, I hoped that they would be top uh, in their sports uh, uh, league that they were playing. But when they're playing games, uh, I was not interested. I always uh, told them to, to stop with it and do something else. And that's what uh, some of my children said, who are really, really good gamers. Uh, if you had really uh, promoted it with me and supported me and, you know, uh, challenged me and say, uh, I'm helping you out to become a good uh, uh, gamer, uh, maybe I would have been a pro player. But because you always uh, were against it, and that, um, especially the last four or five years, uh, changed my mindset that a parent should always be interested and focused on the hobby of the child, whatever that hobby is. And a parent shouldn't uh, uh, implement his own uh, hobbies and, and things that he thinks are important. So we focus a lot on the parent-child relationship and we also do a lot of parent-child tournaments, also with FIFA, but also very much with the racing and Formula One. It's very popular with parent-child um, because if you can't change the parents, the children will never get the possibility to uh, do that. And that might also be a good thing for the, the, the soccer clubs because they already have the parents, but they don't have the children. Uh, so if they would do more uh, with this parent-child relationship and, and gaming, uh, that would be. So uh, I already explained that it's very social and, and that, that the communication around this is very important. Um, uh, that's the social part of gaming health, of course, you need structure in your life. Uh, you can't stay up uh, till three at night uh, eating pizzas and drinking energy drinks and uh, not focusing. You need a good structure and balance. You need good food and nutrition and you need physical exercise. And only then you can be a top sporter. And whether it uh, be uh, soccer or uh, swimming or gaming, you all need the same uh, things uh, in, the, in the background. Well, and uh, Gaming and Work already told you about the competences and the profile that we can make because gamification and digitalization is something to stay. It is not going to change anymore. It's part of the lifestyle that we have. You know it yourself, how often uh, you, you are on your mobile phone or uh, on your tablet. Uh, uh, of course, you don't watch TV much uh, apart from the Netflix and things like that. Uh, the gamification and digitalization is important, so sports should, should uh, do that as well. 
Now, regarding the involvement of football clubs in esports, and as we've seen, it is still not as wide as it could be, perhaps initiatives that promote social benefits could be a direction for those teams that are still unsure about this new industry and how to enter it. But soccer is a really old school uh, way of thinking. The people that are uh, running things, they only go for, uh, I don't want to sound too negative, but they go for the power and the money and uh, they, they never go to innovation. Like I just said, the only reason why clubs in Holland uh, go into esports was because of marketing and they thought they would lose the target group, but they don't see the, the possibilities and chances. The clubs uh, have not this sports pyramid either. So they just buy a team and uh, some of them don't want to be responsible for their own team. So they just hire a team from uh, an agency or a management agency that does all the esports thing. And I think that has to change to become a real professional and fully fledged uh, 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 sports. Uh, they, they should have uh, a talent academy and uh, uh, have teams uh, on the amateur side playing and from that uh, get their own uh, uh, pro team. Uh, but I think that 80% of all the clubs in Holland, uh, only uh, Ajax, uh, this is for a Feyenoord fan and someone from Rotterdam, uh, hard to uh, uh, say, but uh, Ajax is really the, uh, the best and PSV uh, as well. And then you have Heracles. Those are the three top clubs that really see esports as their professional thing. And I think that, that Ajax is already making money with it as well because they, they really do it in a, in, in a perfect way. Uh, so there are some examples, but as I say, uh, it's still uh, uh, too little uh, to really become uh, a good uh, uh, competition. And that is a big frustration. You see in the four years that I'm working in esports now, you really see a big change. So I'm positive that in, in say three to five years, it will really change. But uh, the biggest problem with uh, regular clubs is their old fashioned way of thinking. They still think in memberships, uh, but you should uh, think in fan loyalty programs. And that's change in mind. This mindset is really difficult to change with a regular football club. So the generation that I'm talking to now, they should make the difference in the future. Mm -hmm. But it will be very difficult for them uh, to convince the board of directors of a club or the general management of a club. All right. I hope you enjoyed these two talks. Thank you, Oliver Weingarten and Wim Nordzai, for sharing your knowledge with us. The world of gaming offers a lot of possibilities, not only at the individual level, but also at the community level. And the third episode of the eSports series will focus on one of these many possibilities, startups. We will hear from Alex Chalmers from Study Adventures and Brian Wilneff from Alpha eSports Tech and Gamers E Arena. 
And my goodbye today will be more emphatic than usual. Please take extra care of yourself out there. When we thought the pandemic was staying behind, it came back again full force. So stay safe for your sake and for those around you as well. Cheers. Cheers.